The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in Luke 8. If you, are, uh, if you have a Bible, that's great. If you don't, all the verses will be up on the screen. Um, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to read uh, Luke 8, verses 22 to 39. And... We're going to pray. Also, um, what we do as a part of our uh, life together, as we work through a passage, if you have any questions, you can uh, send those uh, to the number up on the screen. It's up on the bottom of, the, of all the slides. Um, that uh, comes to my phone. That's just a way for us to be able to engage and process God's Word together. And um, I assume that there's going to be things that come to mind that I don't speak to, and if we can, we'll address those if we, uh, together. So, that being said, Jesus has just preached um, earlier in Luke 8 on the parable of the sower and the seeds, and here we have um, him with his disciples, and he's in a boat. So, Luke 8, starting in verse 22. One day he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they went out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down in the, um, on the lake, and they, were fill, um, and they were filling with water and were in danger. They went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this who commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, that's the unclean spirit, had seized this man. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds, and he would be driven by demons into the desert. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered, them, uh, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at his feet, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And, the, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. 
So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had uh, gone begged that he might go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Father, as we look to your word and try to understand the life of Jesus here and who he is for us, um, some of us come in the midst of our own waves and storms, our own experience of darkness, and we ask that you would reveal your heart to us, that we would know the care, love, and attention of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, in the story, we have two, uh, two main stories, right? We have kind of a big story about uh, a storm going on on the outside. We have a sto- uh, story about a storm going on on the inside of this man's experience. Um, and it brings to mind this idea of control, right? Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been in a uh, panic, like life, oh my gosh, I'm going to die situation. But uh, these sort of extreme situations bring out how much we value control, right? Um, and that's not a bad thing, right? Control is actually, psychologically, it's a part of uh, our own health, it, you know, having a sense of I can control my life and my environment and the, the circumstances around me. And what these extreme experiences of losing control um, reveal is uh, they show us a little bit of where do we go for our stability and peace, right? It's totally fine if you're about to get in a car wreck to freak out, right? Whatever you say behind the wheel at that moment, God completely forgives. <laughs> But it is a moment to kind of pause and consider when you're in these extreme moments, where do I find my peace and recenter for a sense of control? In this story, we have two moments where you have a story of waves that almost kill fishermen, and in the story you have demons that almost kill a man. You might call these like the extremes of the human experience, right? You have on the one hand being killed by creation, have on the other hand being killed by demonic possession. I would say that's a pretty broad range of what human experience can be, right? We have um, here a situation where Jesus stands in both of those, and he exercises with ease control of the created world around us, and the spiritual world that is very foggy and scary to us. So, as we work through this passage, one of the things I want to draw your attention to as we read through it kind of section by section is there's a lot of reports of things that Jesus could have said, right? It says that he, for example, addressed the waves, but we don't know what he says to the waves. But we do have specific words of what he does say. And I think those words where he asks questions and the specific words that Jesus recounts or that are recounted from Jesus in those moments invite us to see his heart for us in this passage. He, he says a lot of things that's not recorded, but the things that are recorded are the things that invite us into his heart here. So as we work through this passage, here I think is the main point of what's going on. Jesus' authority settles us in his peaceful heart. In the midst of all of these 
chaotic stories, Jesus' authority is easy and clear and obvious in each one. And the result in each situation is the experience of peace. I mean, quite literally, we're going to see the storms are calm. The experience of peace and the way we get there is by hearing Jesus' simple words that draw us into his heart for us. So as we work through this, that's kind of where I wanted to keep your attention. Pay attention, not just to the, the surrounding events of what's going on around Jesus, but his specific words and what they show us about his heart. So we're going to pick up here in verse 22 to 25, the heart uh, of Jesus, his heart for us, and our precarious faith. Here we have the story of fishermen who get freaked out on the ocean. Right? One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, I just think this is interesting that it probably indicates how absolutely exhausted Jesus is from the ministry life that he's had thus far, which is an indication of his experience of our humanity. Have you ever, like, just been so exhausted that, I mean, you, like, I think of our children where they just fall asleep in the middle of, like, we do walking through a concert, and if they're just like at the end of their ropes, just boom, fall asleep. Uh, or if you, you know, middle of the day, yard work all day, fall asleep on the couch, oh, dinner time. That kind of idea going on here. Jesus is so exhausted. And a windstorm came down the lake, and they were uh, filling with water. That's the boats. They were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and they were calm, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? As an indication of how tall these waves were, um, the Sea of Galilee is often reported with major storms to have waves that are upwards of 20 to 30 feet high. So I don't know if you've ever experienced what it's like to be um, at the bottom of a 20 or 30 foot high wave, but you know, this is like what, a 10, 12 foot high ceiling? So think two stories high waves around you. These are fishermen who know the deal. They know the game. And so they can read that this is a bad situation. I mean, it's kind of like if you're in a car with a pro race car driver and he gets freaked out by traffic, you know, like, this is not a time to joke around. They are freaked out. But what they do is that they read the waters. These waters, this high, certain death been here, done that. I know this experience from being a fisherman. They know what 30-foot-high waves equals death. And they've got Jesus, who's so exhausted that I still don't quite understand how you could take a nap in the middle of this situation. But Jesus is. And they read these situ the, the waves, and they interpret them to mean, we are going to die. And here's this man who said all these amazing things, done these incredible things, and he's asleep. He obviously does not care. These waves are about to crash down upon us. And what they do in that situation is they read their circumstances to tell them what the heart of Jesus is for them. You see, they know that he's in control. They say, Master, Master. 
They, they know that he's, he's got the stuff. Do you not care effectively that we are about to perish? They know for certain that Jesus does not care for them, about them, what's going on. They read the waves to tell them, the circumstances tell them what God's heart is for them. And it's interesting what Jesus does. He gets up and rebukes the winds and the waves. I mean, again, these are the sort of magic spells. I don't know what, they, what he said. What did he say? I don't know. Be still. <laughs> I mean, do winds have specific names? Like, hey, Johnny, the waves of, you know, the winds of whatever, cut it out. Like, I don't, does he name them? What does he do? I don't know. How does Jesus do this? He says he rebukes them. Everything's immediately calm. And then he turns to his friends he says, where is your faith? Now, when I read this, the first blush, I don't know how you read this, but I read this as a bit of kind of like, it's a bit of a rebuke. Where's your faith, man? Don't you like believe in God and stuff? I think it's a bit more of an exploratory question. He knows that they believe in it. They had called him master, right? They've been around him enough. I think Jesus is calling their faith back to, I am the Christ. Clearly, I control the universe. So where's your faith gone? Your faith has slightly gone to the side. Instead of knowing Jesus in his heart for you, reading the circumstances and interpreting bad stuff about the world around you to mean bad stuff in God's heart towards you. I think this is something that all of us can relate to, right? I mean, when things go bad and we struggle in life or there are things that are just completely like life falls apart, it feels like I have no way of gaining control or understanding what's going on in my life or being able to do anything to change anything. God must have something. What did, God, what did I do, God? What did I do to, to make you mad at me? Why are you doing this to me? Th those sorts of questions. And Jesus' correction here is gentle. Where is your faith? Just kind of like when, with, I, I don't mean to keep using illustrations with my children, but with my children, just like, I'm just trying to like talk to them sometimes. Just like, it just eyes on me. You know, that, that sort of, you know, that kind of maneuver? Eyes on me. Jesus calling them back. Look, like that, the waves are gone, the wind's done. Eyes back on me. His heart was never against them. His heart has always been for us. It's interesting that um, we still do this, right? We do this in numerous ways. Uh, and yet, here in the midst of our lives, God calls us to see Jesus for who he is. I think this could be a helpful question for us and our lives together. When we're struggling, when things aren't going our way, when we're beginning to feel like our spiritual life is a grit and there's a grind to it, God, where are you? Not an accusative way for us to ask each other or ourselves, where's your faith? Is Jesus, where's Jesus in the midst of this picture for you? Because I think as we ask ourselves in the midst of the storms or whatever our lives are, we do find that his heart is for us. And he wants us to be at peace, not because the waves and the circumstances of life get all settled, 
but because he's in the boat with us. All right. We're going to move on here. Uh, I know that some of you are probably like, I want to see the demon stuff. So we're going to talk about the demon stuff. <laughs> um, so we see Jesus in the first part, in his heart for us, in our precarious faith when we struggle. And here we see it, his heart for our humanity. Verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes. I think that's how you pronounce it. I mean, Dave, is that how you pronounce it? All right. <laughs> Which is opposite Galilee. I mean, Dave's been to Gerasenes. I mean, that's his hometown. So, you know, I, that's why I'm asking. <coughs> when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Again, just to pause. These are more words that Jesus has said that aren't recorded, which is asking us to pay attention to the words that are recorded. For many a time it had seized him. He, had been, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds. He would drive, uh, be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there in the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So I have to say, this is probably one of the weirder stories in the Gospel of Luke or any of the Gospels' accounts, because, I mean, it's somebody who is so far gone with demon possession, living in a graveyard. Um, and then this whole thing with the pigs, it's like, I don't understand how some of this fits together. Let's kind of work backwards in this story. I'll just kind of handle the pig thing real quick. Um, I read several kind of scholarly work on this, and there's no real consensus on why the whole pig thing. Because when I read this, I don't know if you're like me, I read this and I think, okay, well, they're demons, and... Um, they're basically um, on vacation from hell, right? So they belong in hell, and they're out on vacation tormenting this guy. And once they die, they go back to hell. So why does Jesus allow them to go into the pigs where they then die and go straight back to hell rather than just sending them to back to hell without the pigs dying? Like, there's some sweet bacon involved there. I don't know. So here's the thing. That is all speculation. All the passage says is the demons uh, were put into the pigs. They drove the pigs into the water. The pigs drowned. It doesn't say where they go. It doesn't say what happens to the spirits after, they, after the pigs die. It doesn't say any of that. I think what that moment is there for is to illustrate these demons love and desire destruction and death. And that's ultimately what they will only produce. And that is what was living inside this man. Period. 
That's all we can really say with certainty about what's going on with that whole pig thing. That kind of, it, it illustrates what was going on on the outside, what was happening on the inside of this man's experience, right? So, that being said, here we have this man that Jesus encounters, and he is, um, there's a lot going on, right? There's a hot mess, you might say. This is uh, an incredibly troubling situation. So these demons, through this man, they come up to Jesus, and they say, we know who you are, Son of the Most High God. Now, that phrase, Son of the Most High God, is not an, uh, a term the Jews would have used. It's a term for Gentile believers or the Gentile world about gods in the world because this situation right here is in Gentile territory. So Jesus has left Israel territory, uh, the people of God, and they've gone, he's gone to Gentile territory, people who aren't followers of God, and that's where this guy lives, so the demons use the colloquial language of the place. And they try to pull, this whole thing with the name thing is a whole like name card, right? Like if you pull like the name card in the ancient world, it's like you had authority over somebody. I know who you, I know you're real, I know your daddy kind of thing. You know, like don't talk to me about that stuff. I know who you are. Interestingly, Jesus uh, does, is like completely unfazed by this and says, actually, I want to know your name. Enough with this power dynamics. What's your name? And legion is a term in the ancient world, in the Roman, in the Roman world, for a, um, a collection of 5,600 troops. So that's a, that's a pretty large number. I mean, how many people, do you know how many people can fit in the SNU Coliseum, or SNU Arena? I'm trying to think. 10,000? So half of the SNU Arena of demons are in this one guy, which is pretty incredible, right? That, that's kind of the visual of what's going on here. So when Jesus says, you know, what's your name? He's eliciting not just information, and we're going to get to this. But I want you to consider this man's story. Can we put up here uh, verse 27 and 29? For a long time, this man, again, we have no name for him, um, and I don't want to pick a name as to, though to imply that any of the people that I would pick are demon-possessed. Um, for a long time... He had worn no clothes, so this guy's walking around naked, and he had not lived in a house, but among tombs, right? Um, not a great place uh, to live. For many a time, the unclean spirits had seized him, so he's being thrown around, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but they would break free, but he would break free the bonds and be driven by demons into the desert. See, here's this picture, he was so strong that even chains and rocks could not hold him. And just consider what this man's experience was. I mean, how, how dark, I mean, truly demonic. I mean, if you ever, I, I, I can do some horror movies, the supernatural ones kind of freak me out because they're a little bit too like, ooh, stuff's real. This is really tragic for this man. He is at the, what you might call the far end of what it means to just continue to be human, right? Everything has been stripped from him in every possible demonic way. So when Jesus comes to him, what does he do? I mean, if it were me, and I had some guy like this rushing up on me, 
I'd be like, I, I, there's a number of like immediate fight or flight kind of like, what do you, you know, what's your problem? Get away from me. But, you know, you can kind of begin to think, well, how would you respond to this situation? And Jesus, an absolute collection and peace, what's your name? Actually, he says that for the demons to come out of him, which is not recorded, and what is recorded is what's your name? Which to me, when I hear this in this story, is not merely just kind of like a power play thing with the demons, but he's going after the man's identity and fundamental humanity of who he is. Right? There's the, I don't think that Jesus is like kind of guessing about the story here or what's going on. Like, I don't think that he's kind of like, oh, what demon are you? Oh, you're Beelzebub. Okay, all right. Beelzebub, I have this special spell to get you out of this man. I don't think that that's what Jesus is doing here. I think what Jesus, when he says, what's your name, he is aiming at, look, I am here to renew and restore God's purpose and humanity. And so this demon stuff is just getting in the way. It's almost like a nuisance. So let me cut straight to the chase and get right to the heart of who you are. What is your name? See, Jesus goes after his humanity to restore him, not to pummel the, the demons out of him and make a spectacle about the whole thing. You see this, for example, can I go to the, um, I have a comparison chart here. Right, this man's original condition and how the text specifically goes out of its way to describe how he is specifically renewed at this healing of Jesus, right? He had demons, and the demons are noted as being gone. He had worn no clothes. He's, he's wearing clothes. He did not live in a house. He's sent back to his house. He fell down before him. He was sitting before Jesus, right? The demon seized him. He's in his right mind. Because Jesus cares about this man's humanity and aims at him experiencing renewal and peace at the feet of Jesus, his heart for him is just simply, what's your name, as a way of pulling out this man's humanity. And the healing isn't some spectacle of, I mean, bro, if I could cast out demons, I'd make some sick money. <laughs> that would be a great job. Jesus does not care about any of that. He wants your humanity to be renewed and restored and to be sitting in absolute peace with him. See, a great deal of the Christian life is just learning how to be human again. Like when we, when we talk about any of like why we sin and what's wrong with our lives and our struggles, a lot is just learning how to be a human in the presence of Jesus again. That's a great deal of what Christianity is all about. The, the demon stuff is really just there to show us the extremes of what it means to have been so far gone. And the question of Jesus draws us into this reality. He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Do you guys, anybody... Uh, when you grew up Catholic, anybody here grew up Catholic? Okay, a few of you. Do you know why when you go do, do, left, do you know why when you do the cross you go left to right? Anybody know why? Okay. Catholic reasoning is you're uh, being saved by the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, yes, but you're being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
that's the Catholic theology on why you go from left to right, to the right hand of God's presence, the right hand of the Father. See, there is, there is a part of this Christian life where we just live in this intersection of going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and learning to be sane people who just sit in the presence of Jesus. <laughs> that, that's, that's what it means to be restored in him. It's not some crazy, like, learning how to walk on water or, man, if I could only fly or, you know, turn one loaf of bread into a thousand. All those things exist just to show us the heart of Jesus, that at the heart of it, at the kingdom of light that he has saved us into, is so that we experience peace in his presence. Okay. We're going to move on here to verse 34. So he's, his heart for us is in our feeble faith or our precarious faith is in renewing our humanity. And then the third part we're going to see here in these, two, in these responses is his heart for our local presence. Verse 34 to 39. When the herdmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus and found him from whom the demons had gone, sitting at his feet, again, we talked about all this, clothed in his right mind, they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might uh, be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now, one part of this passage that we've kind of skipped over that I want to bring out, Jesus has just told the parable of the sower and the seeds, right? And we talked about how in that parable, it's kind of addressing the phase of life and how God's presence and God's word um, addresses us and we respond. Frankly, in the disciples early in this passage, we see people who knew what God was like and trials came and the fruit didn't come. So we saw the second soil. Here we have in this demonic man, we have somebody who responds to the word of God, God's healing presence among him, and, re, and results in a hundredfold fruit. And here we also see in this story somebody, and the whole community around him, who hearing the word of God, reject it and reject the purposes of God for them. So here we have illustrated within this story, from the parable previously, God's presence and Jesus' work among them. See, I'm not exactly sure why they rejected Jesus. I mean, personally, if somebody's like casting out demons, that's a little freaky, right? I don't know why they reject Jesus. Um, Luke doesn't give us any reasons. Other Gospels kind of give us speculation about economic, all that stuff. But this is too much. No thank you. Not on my turf. Please go to the next town over. But... This man is returned to Jesus, returned by Jesus to his people. It's interesting. Did you pick up when I said that this is Jesus going into Gentile territory? This is, in a certain sense, the only Gentile missionary, the only Gentile, one of the few Gentile believers until the book of Acts. 
in a certain sense, this little story with the demonic-possessed man is a little like Easter egg in the Gospel of Luke for the book of Acts, right? Have you ever, I don't know if you guys have seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3. You should go see it. But you realize when you watch the, the, the new one, there's all these little Easter eggs that you missed in the previous movies. That's what this is. This is an Easter egg to say, God comes, he's reaching the nations, he will bring his kingship to restore peace and, to, and uh, restore humanity, and it's starting here. So this guy is given, I mean, it's interesting, Jesus says to him, declare how much God has done for you. So Jesus is on a mission to declare the purposes of God, and here this demon-possessed man is given a, the same purpose as Jesus, a co-mission to declare what God has done. You see, rather than pull this man out of his community and get in the boat with Jesus' people and go away, Jesus sends him back into the community that he's from. That's awkward, right? I mean, here's, I don't know, Scotty, the demon-possessed guy, who used to, I mean, can you imagine how awkward that is? Like, here's Scotty, the demon-possessed guy who used to live down uh, by the, the river, sorry, down by the lake with the demons and walk around naked and all that stuff, and here he is buying bread in the market. <laughs> it's awkward. But it reveals the heart of God that the very place where you are saved and the community that you are from is almost like, almost certainly to be the very people that God wants you to witness about into. We have a tendency within the Christian community to ghettoize, to pull away from the people around us, as though once we become a Christian, they're the dirty people and we have to come and be around the clean people and we have to stay in our little Christian huddles and have our Christian radio programs and Christian TV and Christian movies and Christian homeschooling and Christian, Christian, Christian. When God saves us, he changes our spiritual address but doesn't change our physical address. We are saved from the kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, often on the same block that we're from so that we can then be an outpost of somebody who says, Look at the wonderful works of God. Look at the wonderful things that he's done. Right, that, and it's, of course, I'm, sh I'm sure you picked up in this passage, right, that Jesus says, go tell what God has done for you, and he's, I'm telling them what Jesus has done for me. Clearly making a connection of the Son of God. Part of staying where we are is just quite simply to learn to help the people around us or to be an opportunity for the people around us to have somebody witness, this is actually God's good work among us. Whether they want to hear it or not, whether they want to respond to it or not, it's not up to you. Just to be a faithful presence, witnessing to God's great works among us. Again, I think this man is a bit of a prototype of what it means to be a disciple. Getting his head on straight, to have his head thinking Jesus-centered thoughts. His heart straightened out so that he's sitting at the feet of Jesus so that he can just receive and pray and enjoy who Jesus is and having his hands directed so that he knows who to serve and love and where his community is. See, in the midst of all this, there has been a 
there's been an echo from Psalm 107 I want to end with. Psalm 107 has four stories about the wonderful works of God and how he saves people from the shadow of death and from the tombs of despair. He saves people from the raging sea and quiets the waters. And in the midst of all of that is this refrain I want to read for us that reveals the heart of Jesus for us. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and his wonderful works to the children of man. The purpose of being renewed by Jesus and experiencing his heart is so that we can not only see his heart for who he is and enjoy him among us, but to continue to stand as faithful witnesses to the mighty works of God in our context. Let's pray. God, as we've worked through this passage and considered your goodness to us, would you help us to experience the peace of your heart for us? Would, we, would you help us to know the goodness of Jesus towards us? And will we continue to declare how good he's been to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.